So do you think that Italians feel the same way about Mario as Indian people feel about Apu? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have any insight onto this? Do you have any prepped research into this? No, I have no prepped research. I just wonder if there is any push right now to get Mario an Italian voice actor. Uh, do you know who voice act is Mario? Is he not? I assume it's a Japanese person because it's a Jap it's a Nintendo character. Mm, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I don't know. Um, I guess if all of the characters from Nintendo though are being voiced by Nintendo characters, it wouldn't it would just fit right in then, right? Right. Yeah, Pikachu is the same as Mario is the same as the giant. Wait, but P Pikachu doesn't have a nationality though. Yeah, he's a Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think it's it's pretty fair to assume that Pikachu is Japanese. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know where the Kanto <laughs> region is. I haven't brushed up on my Pokemon lore in quite a while. Well, you might you might be on to something there. Uh, should we start the show? Let's do it. Let's start the show. We are Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror movie fan. What do we do here at Necromancer, Brett? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, each week we review a movie and then we swip and swap those movies and remake them. So every week you pick a romance movie, a rom-com movie. Every week I pick a horror movie. Then we turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com. Bingo, bango. And this week, our theme is Italy. Italy. So I have to ask the question that I ask for all location-based episodes, which is if we were aliens, if we were the Thermians, and, and through the pod came these two movies, and this is the only information we had about Earth, what is the world like? Oh boy. <laughs> I would, uh, I would think that, yeah, I would think that movie theaters are basically like the equivalent of a place of worship, but also a slaughterhouse. Yeah. If I'm an alien, my first thought is that people who go into the movie theater are just going to go nuts no matter yeah. what. Whether it's good or bad, you could turn into a demon, you could meet the love of your life. Either way, you're going to completely lose your mind as soon as you get into the theater. Yeah, it would very much be a sort of like, why do they even go there if this is going to happen? Like, why would you even put yourself <laughs> in that situation? 
Right, because the theater is not only where you can die from demon attacks, but you can also die in a fire as well. Yeah, movie theaters are very scary. They're very dangerous places, but the Italians can't get enough of them from these two movies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the movie theater is the most dangerous place on earth, and there's but also the most seductive. Yeah, where (laughs) these filmmakers would rather be, which is just right in the middle of the apocalyptic chaos. Yeah, I think I think that that about sums it up. If yeah, if I were an alien and I saw these two movies, I I would enter a movie theater with a lot of trepidation. Yeah, you'd have to have a full out, you know, Home Alone style map and battle plan to fire retardant clothes, yeah. states, <laughs> anything, man. So what what do you think? Uh, I I know that famously in our French episode, you were not happy with the French and their filmmaking. How do you feel about the Italians by comparison? Since we're we're trying to start a European land war. Well, I don't have anything against the French, in particular. I just don't know that I've seen a bunch of good horror movies that have come out of France and it was Martyrs, right? Martyrs is the Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. I I didn't like that one, (laughs) (laughs) but demons is a movie that I had seen before and demons is probably the movie that I would say is maybe the most quintessential quote unquote Brett movie that there is like this movie is freaking insane. <laughs> so if 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 somebody asked you what movie describes your aesthetic and what you like in a movie, Demons would be at the top of that list? I think so. Like there's a bunch of different things I like in a bunch of different movies, but Demons is the movie that just seems like, yep, we made this exactly just for Brett. And hopefully other people like it, but we pretty much made this just for Brett. And I love every freaking minute of this movie. I love every decision made. I love every acting choice. I love all the practical effects. Ugh, this movie is pure magic. Do you feel like this movie has a lot in common with other Italian horror movies you love? Like what's the the main through line as far as what the Italians bring to horror for you? Okay, yeah, there's a lot of color. There's a lot of just characters accepting the situations that they're in and rolling with it. There's a lot of extremely gross stuff going on. Um, there's yeah, those GLs like to get real gross. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of one note silly characters, but the comedy comes from how would this one note character respond to every situation? Which is, even though every situation is a little bit different, those characters are reacting the same because they are coming from their specific point of view. I would say how this relates to other Italian horror movies, or as we like to say, giallo. 
film. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, the Jello films. This feels like if Blood and Black Lace was Sam Raimi's Spider Man. That movie came out and everyone was like, whoa, right? Whoa. And then 10 years later, Deep Red comes out and everyone is like, whoa, this is like now Iron Man, right? Like, yeah, Spider-Man was good, but now Iron Man is starting something new. And it's it's good because Spider-Man was good, but now it's like kicking off this new stuff. Uh, Demons is like Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool is like... <laughs> It's just so meta and it's so bonkers and it's so cartoony. It just like this is this is kind of like scream. This is kind of like it, in order to fully truly appreciate all the crazy. It did make me think of it made me think of the beginning of Scream 2 when they're watching the movie adaptation of the first Scream and then a woman gets murdered in the theater. Right. Yeah, this movie is very much like if you've seen other Italian horror movies, you'll know that this is kind of like a true lies-esque version, which is, yes, it not only does exactly what you would want from an Italian horror movie, but it also is funny, and the kills are funny, but the kills are also really gross. And True Lies does the same thing, which is like the kills are really intense, but the kills are also really funny. Um yeah, no, I mean, it definitely seems like a, a movie that that had fun with it. Uh, I, I just remembered, um, in addition to being absolutely bananas about the theater, I think that both of these movies are very meta about filmmaking and films within films and, you know, what films do for us and watching people, watching movies they're very self-reflective um, where, yeah, yeah. A lot of, I feel like where the French are very philosophical, the Italians are very self-reflective. Yeah, I can see that. Thinking of other Italian movies versus other French movies. I definitely can see that. Um, like Le Samurai versus Nine and a Half. Well, yeah, because Le Samurai literally begins with a quote about the Bushido Code. So they're already establishing, establishing out the gate that they love philosophy, whereas Eight and a Half is like me and my eight and a half girlfriends. Right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what it's ultimately about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't Yeah, it's very interesting that that these two countries are so close together and they have like, I don't know, they're, they, they both feel like they're foreign in the same way, but they also feel completely different. I think you could, you could turn yeah. off the sound and just watch the movies and you would immediately know which one is French versus which one is Italian. Oh, absolutely. From the hand gestures alone. That's another that's another Thermian take that I would take from both these movies is that hand hand gestures are everything. Yeah. The the Italians are very expressive. So since we already started to uh, dip into demons, do you want to cover that one first? Yeah, I would love to. 
All right. So tell me, other than the fact that you really like this movie, why did you decide on it for our Italian episode? Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to spin a little yarn here, but I'm going to try to do it as fast and, and crunch the details down as concisely as possible. When I was in my late teens and my parents left for a vacation, me and my brother had the house all to ourselves, but we were older. So it was like, all right, here's the house. Don't throw any wild parties. So, of course, what my brother did was threw a party upstairs. And then downstairs, I was like, you know what I'm going to do is have a 24-hour Arnold Schwarzenegger marathon, right? So I just, I planned out all my movies. I invited people over and my friends showed up. You know, they would show up for one or two movies and then leave. And then another one would show up for a few movies and leave. And so I watched 24 hours straight of just Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And I was like, I just really like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. That's all there is to it. And most people were like, why are you doing this? And I was like, because I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So then cut to years later, I'm in Chicago and I see an ad for a 24-hour horror movie festival. And I was like- Clearly some like-minded individuals. Yeah, I was immediately thinking, yes, these were definitely my people. So I went, of course, and I can't remember if it was the first year or second year, but I had seen a bunch of these movies. A bunch of them are deep cuts too. Like they do a very good job of showing you the popular ones, but also the ones that you might not have seen before. And so- I was watching all these movies and some of them I know what they are. Some of them I don't, but either way, it's like, yeah, I've seen movies before. I know what movies are. But then the first time I saw Deep Red, which was the first Italian horror movie I saw, it was just an explosion of like, oh, this is like, this movie has so much DNA spread into the movies that I love. And I never knew that you could make a movie like this. Like you've seen Deep Red. And if, if, like, it's just such a in-your-face, like, fuck yeah kind of movie. And it's bonkers. It's just totally bonkers. But it fits in the world. And it's crazy. So then the people who run that 24-hour horror film festival also do, like, triple features throughout the year. And so I went to go see a triple feature. And I can't remember the first two movies they showed. But the third and last movie was Demons. And by then I had seen one or two other Italian horror movies. But when I saw Demons, I just... I mean, I lost my mind. This movie was nuts. And then I walked home later that night and I was just completely creeped out on the walk home at night after watching this movie. Cause we'll talk about it, but like this movie is genuinely frightening just in the, the sense of relentlessness that it throws at you. And then, but also it gives you, this movie is the equivalent of if your parents catch you smoking cigarettes so they make you smoke the whole carton or the whole yeah, pack. Yeah, it is relentless. <laughs> it's like, you want demons? Okay, we're going to give you demons. And then you're like, by the end of the movie, you're like, holy shit. I don't know if I can handle demons anymore. <laughs> like There were so many of them. And it was so crazy. Uh, but yeah, I just, I walked home after seeing demons and I just thought like, yeah, Italian horror is without a doubt now cemented as one of the top three ultimate sub genres that are just, you know, like animal based Kung Fu or something like, it's just one of those super niche genres that are, I'm just totally down for super niche genres, like animated kids movies that are also Westerns that are also film noirs that have lizards in them. 
God damn it, Rango. <laughs> Rango. Rango. Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Also, um, both of these movies know their way around a great score. Uh, those Italian horror movies, they love their little synthy scores. And um, uh, we also have uh, the recently passed Ennio Morricone for Cinema Paradiso. So, yeah. Yeah, they- R.I.P. I just watched Good, the Bad, the Ugly the other day in honor. The guy had range, oh, you know, he could, yeah. he could compose uh, a lot of different moods and uh, totally a different different side of music with the Italian horror movies with, with the synthy scores, but it, it works really, really well, I think. Uh, so why don't we get into the craziness? Let's, let's smoke this whole carton of cigarettes, <laughs> why don't we? I can't wait. Apparently this, I didn't know this, but this movie takes place in Berlin. Mm. I only learned that by reading about the movie. Um, So while leaving a subway station in Berlin, music student Cheryl receives tickets to a movie at the Metropole from a mysterious man with a metal face who is not T-1000. Uh, Cheryl, this is, this is very much the meta scream aspect, which is this guy's walking around super creepy but then, oh, he's just handing out movie tickets, you know? Yeah, I mean, really, all he did was hand out movie tickets. But we'll find out what happens. So Cheryl convinces her friend Kathy to skip class and go to the movies with her. Also in attendance, two young men, George and Ken, who are interested in Cheryl and Kathy, a blind man and his female guide, a pimp and his two prostitutes, a married couple, And then a young couple, boyfriend and girlfriend. So in the lobby, one of the prostitutes, Rosemary, tries on a devil mask that's hanging off of a motorbike, a display related to the film. And then the inside of the mask cuts her cheek and she has to put it back. Uh, The audience is dismayed to learn that the movie is a horror movie. And then in the movie, a group of people find a mask that is similar to the one that Rosemary tried on in the lobby. And just like it did to her, the mask cuts the wearer. Uh, And then in the movie, he turns into a demon and starts killing his friends. Meanwhile, Rosemary is headed to the bathroom because she isn't feeling well. And then while she's there, her cut bursts with pus. And then (laughs) she turns into a demon. This is... Like Dr. Pimple Popper on steroids. You can definitely see the DNA of this leaking into Sam Raimi's films. Because there's so much stuff leaking out of and onto people. It's very gooey. It's a very gooey movie. Uh, (laughs) So then she scratches the other prostitute, Carmen, who had gone to look for her. And then Carmen turns into a demon too and crashes through the movie screen. And then when the crowd gathers around her, she begins killing people. And then this is where all that great practical effects that uh, Brett was talking about happens. Uh, people get their eyes gouged out. It's, it's very, again, it's extremely gooey. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the audience tries to go through the exits, but they've all been walled off. <laughs> Just like The Um, Matrix. Just like The Matrix or a movie that I mention on this podcast all the time, Cube. Oh, yeah. They're trapped in a box. Yeah, and they can't get out. Um, (laughs) 
and there's there's traps uh so at first they're like oh it's the movie the movie's turning everyone into demons so they go into the projection booth but there's nobody there they oh smash- can i just say super quick i love the fact that there's like a this is spinal tap segment of the movie where it's just them it's just a crowd of people running from room to room yeah no it, it feels like the yeah, it feels like the end of Blazing Saddles when they're just running through different sets. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just complete pandemonium trying to trying to find the exit that does not exist. Or does it? Um, so they smash the projector uh, and then they board themselves up in the balcony section of the theater. And then meanwhile, the young couple, they try to get out through the ventilation system, John McClane style. Uh, but then the girl turns into a demon and kills her boyfriend. I, I liked that scene because her hands turn into the demon first. So he hears the clicking of her demon nails, um, but he doesn't know where it's coming from. <laughs> Uh, that, that was a good one. Meanwhile, we have a group of punks that enter the theater through the one unblocked exit. And they also let one of the demons slip out. The punks are also immediately turned into demons. I felt like the scene of them cleaning up Coke off of that one punk's boob was kind of unnecessary, but also totally Italian. Um, (laughs) Finally, it's just George and Cheryl who are not demons. They get on a motorbike, uh, that same motorbike from the lobby. And then also George gets a hold of a katana. And then they ride around on the motorbike, uh, slicing through the demons on the theater floor. And then that's when a helicopter falls through the roof of the theater. You are listening correctly. Yes, this is the moment in the movie where a helicopter just falls through the ceiling. No explanation. Uh, but lucky them, there's a emergency grappling hook in the, <laughs> in the helicopter. And then they use that to get out of the theater through the ceiling hole. And then well, as- first, first they've got to turn on the helicopter to finish oh, yes. off the rest of the demons and that, slice off their guts and heads. And that stuff. happens because you know that Deus X helicopter <laughs> fell through. God's helicopter fell through the ceiling, uh, so we got to use it to kill some demons. Uh, but yeah, they get they get out of the uh, they get out of the hole uncharted style. Uh, but then as George is climbing out, the man with the metal face starts to attack him. And then Cheryl saves George. And together they impale the metal man's face on some exposed rebar. Uh, and then too late, they learn that they're basically now in Raccoon City from Resident Evil. Just the entire city has been run down with demons. Uh, but they get a ride with a group of survivors. And it seems like things are going to be okay until Cheryl turns into a demon and they throw her from the car onto the road. The end. The end. What that, a movie. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I just can't get enough of this movie, man. Like I cannot, this movie reminds me of Billy Madison or happy Gilmore. Which is just like... It's your how, happy place? Yes, this is my happy place for sure. 
Uh, it's just how how do you not only convince other people to make the movie, but how do you convince other people to give you money to make the movie that it's worth making? Like how I don't understand how because this movies are a collaborative art form. How do you communicate to people the proper level of crazy that you're going for and have other people understand it? Because there's plenty of movies that are being made, especially right now in the Hollywood system that are just, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. But this movie feels like it's got one head chef and then all the other sous chefs are like, they know exactly what food they have to prep and how they have to prep it. So there were three people on this, right? There was Dario Argento, um, Bava, right? And one other person, if I remember correctly. Mm, I don't know off the top of my head. But yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, I I think I enjoyed most the sort of intersections with action where, you know, so first you get the forced proximity premise. Everybody's locked in the theater and everybody's a weirdo. So nobody is working together. That's one movie. And then you get the whole thing with their friends where George and Cheryl have to dispatch both of their best friends. First, Kathy, who's the only demon who gets a speaking role uh, as a demon. And then you have this whole scene with Ken where he literally hands him the katana and says, I want you to kill me with this. Yeah, Ken is such a little dweeb, but then at the end of the movie, he totally heroes out, and he's like, listen, I'm going to turn into one of these things. I don't want to. You got to kill me with this katana. Heck yeah. Right, right. And uh, and then you have a completely different movie once they get on the bike and start slicing through zombies. Uh, and then the sequel set up with the uh, with the whole city zombified. Uh, I I saw online they did make a demons too. I don't know if it's worth watching though. Uh, I'm too scared to watch it because <laughs> I love this movie so much. I don't. I you know horror movies are a mixed bag when it comes to sequels. Sometimes the sequels really know how to amp it up and sometimes the sequels are just blatant cash grabs and so i haven't seen demons too but i i I will one day yeah do you did you catch on to the fact that nobody caught that there was an unblocked exit on the theater floor because that's the only way that the punks were able to get in was there was one entrance in and out of the theater if they had gone the opposite way of where they ran to. I took it as probably like a a possessed cube type thing, which is the theater was probably haunted in and of itself. And so the theater could control whether or not the doors could be opened or not. And Ooh, so, so you think the blind guy was right? You think that the theater was the one that turned them into demons? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know the I don't know the full lore. I don't know if there is a full lore, 
but it's I think it's pretty clear that like this whole thing was set up through some third party organization and that you know this was all a trap to get people to become demons and right i was confused about so we had the metal face man who's clearly in on the gag um but i thought that the uh the lady usher the ticket taker was in on the gag too but then she was trapped like everybody else yeah i think that's part of the italian horror meta aspect which is that she's clearly playing the role as an evil role but then she does make a switch at one point, right? And doesn't she lose her composure a little bit? Well, um, she she seems like she gets mad at the lady who's fucking with the mask. So when she sees the one woman put the mask on, she kind of makes a judgy face. Um, right. But I, I thought like, oh, we're going to find out that she's also already a demon. But that's not at all what happened. Yeah, no, it definitely throws you for that loop. I, I, I think that that's intentional. I think that's a hundred percent intentional. Where oh, it's kind of a, a red, yeah, it's a little bit of a red herring. Where clearly this lady is evil, and if we overthrow her, then she, we can overthrow the mega demon or whatever. But then it's like, nope, she's just a pawn. Turns into a demon. Fuck you. So, would you say that the end of this movie is a bummer ending? No, no, not at all. If anything, I think it's a, I think it's a crowd pleaser because they do the fake out. They do the credits fake out. So you get the happy ending where they ride off into the night and take on the world together. But then you also have the Italian horror movie ending, which is, nope, we're going to get one final scare in one final jump in. She's a demon. Just shoot her unceremoniously. Now she's dead on the side of the road. Yeah, that's your movie. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I, I think it's kind of you've, you've got both endings and it's crazy because as a horror movie fan, I'm rooting for the violence and for the scares and for the gore and for the action. But then the way that the movie has it within the movie, it's like the care. It's like you're rooting for the characters to see this crazy movie. But then when the movie starts happening to them, you're like oh no, like they're really just going to get massacred. And they're all such likable cartoon characters that you don't want to see these really likable cartoon characters get brutally murdered and gouged and ripped apart by this silly, silly film. Well, it's surprising for Cheryl because she kind of had Final Girl written all over her and she had a plot shield until the very, very end. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that's just, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but Tenebra, which was directed by Dario Argento, that movie's got like 10 twists in the final <laughs> 10 minutes. And it just becomes absurd. The, the only American movie I can think that comes close is, did you ever see Now You See Me? The magician heist oh, movie. Oh God, no! I I saw clips from it, and it just looked absolutely ridiculous. It's a great fun movie. The first eighty minutes of the movie is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. It's very silly, but it's just a blast of a movie. 
But then the last 10 minutes just turns into, oh, yeah, that's right. Magicians are all about trickery. So how many twists can we throw at you in the last 10 minutes? 10? Let's do it. Like, after a certain point, when you're watching a certain movie, you have to just give in to the fact that the ending of the movie is never going to be 100% satisfactory. So as long as you just go all in, like at this point, we've already pushed our chips all in. Might as well just go even more all in, you know, put the house, put the mortgage in the pile, like just put it all in there, man. Yeah. Make your lady, make your main character a demon and just shoot her and kill her. Like, yeah, turn that's the entire city into zombies or sorry, demons. No, it's a, it's a zombie movie for sure. It's people trapped in an enclosed space. People who don't normally work together, being forced to work together to fight off a very imminent threat that transmits through violence. I mean, it's a zombie movie, but the, the practical effects and everything are just. Yeah, those demon knuckles and fingers are pretty, pretty extreme. I think they, they did do a, they did do a really good job with that. Yeah. Uh, And how about that shot of those people coming up the stairs with their eyes glowing? Oh yeah. When they're trying to get away from everyone and they're all running after them because they're, I mean, they've basically got the same stats as the 28 day later zombies. They've got the rage. Right. And they've kind of got a little bit of gremlin DNA or vice versa, which is like right. these demons, these demons are the ultra rated R version of gremlins, which is like they're not they, they're not organized. They don't have a leader. They don't have a plan. All they know is they have to kill and bite and claw people. And so sometimes like the one lady will use the rope or chaos will be around and she's just like nomming on an arm or something. But then other times it's, it's, I don't know. It's like they have a sense that I need to kill as many people as possible, but they don't have a sense of why. And set every car on fire. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, also in trademark Giallo fashion, this movie is extremely colorful uh, I think, th- I don't know what the budget on this movie was, but I could imagine it being super low budgety because every time you see it's them just get into one location. Like, yeah. Every time you see them get into a vent or behind the curtains or in a lobby or a restroom, they basically just flood that one location with a bunch of color. And then that's your lighting. You know, if you're in the vent, then your lighting is blue. If you're in the restroom, then your lighting is yellow. And if you're in the projection room, the lighting's red. Uh, It's just they flood every single room with a single color. And then it just, the violence and the gore just pops right out. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of love, do you have a crush from this movie? Oh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of want to say the pimp. He was pretty cool. It's it's just the fact that he's a total asshole. But then when everyone loses their mind, it's like, he's yeah. He's a leader. The guy who's in charge of prostitutes is now in charge of this group of people panicking for their life. And he's the one who's like, 
smash it. And, you know, they're in the projection room and they're like, we have no idea what to do. Let's just start smashing everything. That seems to work out sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I also, I really do love the misdirection, just like the way that I loved the stalker in perfect blue. I love the usher lady in this movie. Cause she is an extremely well done misdirection. We're like, just from acting alone, you can tell, oh, this lady is a bad guy. But then she's not a bad guy. She just gets turned into a demon. So, who? yeah, who do you got a crush on? I'm with you on the, uh, on the Usher lady. Not only did she have fantastic hair, like, girl, what's your routine? Um, but, yeah, she was so mysterious and really made me think that we were going to find out that she was in on on the demon happenings, but she was just as much a victim as everyone else. Um, yeah, somewhere between her and maybe George, because he, he really rose to the occasion. Yeah, he definitely turns into an ash at the end of the movie. I oh, mean, yeah, at, he goes full ash. Oh, yeah. At the beginning of the movie, he's kind of got that dweeby college guy like fancy boy garb but then by the end of the movie sleeves are ripped he's all greasy and sweaty and his muscles he's holding that spear gun like like ah when he's on top of the helicopter and he shoots the spear gun it's it's just like a comic book it's done in such a way that's like yes this yes (laughs) this is how all movies should be like, if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> I can just imagine various points during Demons where you just said, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's um, it's a great movie to see with a crowd, for sure. Because Yeah, it made me think that, too, that it would be really fun in a theater. Yeah, those, um, the, the movie people who do this stuff in Chicago, like, they are definitely responsible for some of my favorite movie going experiences. Cause some of those horror fans, man, like they will just cheer throughout the entire movie. You know, it doesn't matter. Like if, if there's any kind of sex, they'll cheer. If there's any kind of iconic person. Like, you know, um, if Freddie comes on screen, they're like cheering for Freddie, any kind of kill, anything that's happening in a horror movie that's clearly designed for horror fans. They are vocal about it and they love it. And yeah, if, if you go see a movie theater, not with like a, a rambunctious crowd, but with a rowdy crowd, that's a cheering and plotting at the appropriate times to, to like be a hype man for the movie. Ugh, this movie is just, it's a masterpiece. Right. I feel I feel like that's that's something that you kind of lose with um I, I like Alamo Draft House here in Austin, but I feel like virtually everyone who appeared in these two movies would be kicked out of the Alamo Draft House. Oh, for sure. And and for people who aren't local to to Dal or sorry, Texas and, and have never been. It's um it's a theater where they are very adamant about no disruption. So if there's any talking or texting or using your cell phone at all, 
um, zero tolerance policy and you get kicked out. But everyone in this movie is talking, smoking, yelling, repeating the movies, spitting on other people, <laughs> spitting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Having sex in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Both movies have some yes. stuff going on. Yeah. Yes. No, these, these rude and lewd Italians would not be able to hang in, in our uh, special American theater. But I feel like even though you, you get this sort of undisrupted experience, you, you lose the, the fun energy of a rowdy crowd. Right. Yeah, um, it's it's good to be in a rowdy crowd sometimes, for sure. I agree. So, uh, you're the rom-com expert, so I'm wondering how you could take an extremely gory, X-rated, demon-filmed kind of movie and turn it into what I assume is a nice, sweet little romp of a rom-com. Well, Brett, you just have to hone in on the shared trope between this horror movie and many rom-coms. Can you guess what it is? I can't, no. Enemies to Lovers? Confined Spaces. Um, well, Enemies to Lovers was featured in my my rom-com remix, but this one has forced proximity. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta, I mean, and so when I saw that this is a movie about forced proximity, it was very clear to me that the theater patrons, the audience being shut inside the theater had to factor into uh, whatever remake that I did. Now, um, just a disclaimer, I've been a little bit under the weather, so mm -hmm. both of my remixes are a little bit light on detail. Really, the second one is is very, very light on detail, my my Paradiso horror, uh, but we'll, we'll riff it on the spot when we get to it. Uh, but I decided to call this one Last Night at the Metropole. You remember, you've seen the movie Last Night at the Alamo, which is a little indie movie about the last night at this Texas bar and all the patrons come to the bar to drink there for the last time. So I wanted to do a riff on that where everybody knows that this is the last night that the Metropole Theater is going to be open. And so their patrons are coming to see a movie there for the last time. Um, so the Metropole, they're an independent theater. They're going out of business. It's the night of the very last showing, uh, before the theater gets turned into a parking lot. Uh, and then little do they know the theater owner, Werner, I decided to make the, um, the blind guy whose name is Werner, apparently the, um, the theater owner. Okay. And then his projectionist rip who is a reformed version of the, the punk leader. Um, his projectionist, Rip, have planned to stage a lockup to prevent the construction crew from starting the demolition. Their plan is to have Rip lock everyone inside, and then he and his buddies will stand before the entrance to block the crew from coming in. And then during the last film, Rip goes out to meet his former punk friends, 
and we kind of learn more about why Rip is so into the Metropole. Turns out that he used to do drugs, but now he's sober. And one of the things he did when he got sober was start working at this theater and, you know, Werner took a chance on him, but he still knows his old punk buddies. Uh, He just doesn't see them as much anymore because he's just not into that lifestyle, but he's asked for their help with the the lockup. And then just as they're chaining up the last entrance, they then lock rip inside with everyone else. Uh Uh-oh, so now we have a problem because no one knows that all these people are here and the crew might start demolishing the building without knowing that there's a bunch of people inside. Mm. Uh, So when the last moviegoers are trying to get out of the theater and they realize it's locked, they start freaking out. And then Cheryl, a music student uh, who went to the movie on a double date with her friend Kathy and their two boyfriends, um... Cheryl gets knocked down by some people running around. And then instead of helping her, her boyfriend runs away too. Um, And this is enough for her to say, I can't believe that you would leave me behind like that just to save yourself. We're done. Yeah. What a scumbag. Yeah. So she's already just having a really bad night. And then in addition, she's got a, a really important, audition the next day and she needs to get out of the theater so that she can go practice her instrument. Um, so she goes to Werner and Rip and she learns the truth that they've been locked in at every exit. Uh, and they need to find a way to get out. Um, so that nobody inside gets hurt by the demolition Uh, So Cheryl, she's so mad. And then Rip, he hates her because she seems like this real prissy little princess. But then they agree to work together. So I thought maybe it could be an enemies to lovers, opposites attract thing, where the pretty princess music student and the sober former punk get together. Um, and so they they start to like each other as they're working together. And then I started to just jot down some ideas for middle act stuff that could happen at this point in the movie. Like maybe the stranded moviegoers talk about their favorite memories from the Metropole and they make Werner cry. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Rip and Cheryl try to find an exit through the air vents and then it gets all sexy close quarters and there's some kissing or something. Um, maybe Cheryl sings her audition piece for Rip and he's like really moved. Um, uh, and we get maybe an additional come up and scene with George where she talks down to him, uh, or, you know, Rip maybe tells Cheryl about his sobriety and what the theater means to him. So now we fast forward to Don looming Rip and Cheryl are starting to lose hope. Eventually, They tell the rest of the group what's going on. Um, And again, they're freaking out. But then the pimp character takes charge again and tells everybody what they're going to do. They band together. They use a row of chairs as a battering ram. And then they make it outside just as Rip's punk friends appear to be unlocking one of the entrances. And they basically explain that, hey, we were never going to let it go that far. You know, we we just wanted to mess with you. Um, 
but everybody's relieved to be alive all the same. Uh, and then they all surprise Werner by staying behind to protest the theater's demolition. Uh, but Cheryl has to get to her audition. So she and Rip kiss and she goes, she goes to the audition. And then even though she hasn't practiced, it's a movie. So the audition just goes really well. Uh, and then when she gets out, she sees Rip waiting for her and he, you know, will say something like, oh, you don't think you'd get rid of me that easily, you know, like, because after they were forced to spend all this time together, now he's chosen to spend time with her. And they, you know, go off and do it, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah, that's very sweet. I like that. Yeah, I like when the town or the you know whatever, like the the town has to come together to save the the dying thing, you know. Right, right. Like yeah. and and also everybody realized how much they loved that theater being around and they decided to help willingly instead of being hostages. Yeah, that's always yeah, I, I like that when people find themselves in the the sort of right place at the wrong time, but then they they sort of learn that no, maybe it isn't the wrong time. Maybe this is how it was meant to be. Exactly. Yeah. So, how about you? How how did you turn this movie into a rom com? Did did you even try? It's okay. I I did not really try with the horror. Uh, I did try a little bit, but I don't have nearly as much like specifics as I, I would normally. Um, yeah, I'm just going to call mine date night at the Metropole. Okay. And so what I'm thinking is, is introducing a sort of thing about maybe arranged marriages or sort of rushed marriages. Cause maybe we can have this take place in Italy and maybe it can be after a kind of war of some kind. So maybe all the, like the second world war, like perhaps, perhaps maybe the second world <laughs> war. Um, and perhaps maybe the only way to get people to stay in town, cause they have to draft everyone to war Maybe if your town's population is under a certain amount, then if you're married, you don't have to go off to war because you're needed to sort of repopulate the the town and whatnot. So there's going to be some kind of thing that says, if you are married, then that is good, right? But then these two characters, of course, don't want to get married. So I have <gasps> Cheryl. Marriage of convenience? Well, so I have Cheryl and Carl together and George and Kathy together, but very much like in recently reviewed When Harry Met Sally, when they go together as maybe part of this like double blind date, Kathy and Carl start to really connect, but George and Cheryl don't. Like maybe they're from different families or, you know, like they're kind of, uh, who are the people in Romeo and Juliet? The Montagues Monta and Capulets. Yeah. They're Montagues and Capulets a hundred percent. So they don't like each other. They don't want to get married. They just want to go on a normal date with these normal people. But, uh, you know, Carl and Kathy start to hook up and they, you know, they can, yeah. And so at intermission for the movie, because of course it's going to have an intermission because that's what old movies have. 
uh, at intermission, perhaps there's like the military storms the theater and they're like, we need people now. And the, the theater owner is like, wait a minute, we're watching a movie. Can we at least wait till the end of the movie? And it's, you know, very comical, very silly where it's like, no, we have to do it now. Show me where this is. So then like the theater owner is taking this military general all around the theater. And it's like very comical, very wacky, lots of kind of physical jokes and very silly things happening. So while that's going on, the military has the building surrounded so no one can escape. But all of the people in the theater start meeting up with each other, right? Because now, like, rumors are spreading. And so people are starting to, like, sneak off into different areas of the movie theater for various reasons. And all the while, while this is happening, we can have scenes from the movie sort of reflecting what's going on, right? And so... You've got the blind guy and maybe there's a blind lady and like the way that their meet cute happens because this whole movie is going to be about meet cute after meet cute after meet cute. And hopefully by I'm eating it up already. I know. Right. So hopefully we can tell a sort of uh, a sort of linear narrative of how a relationship evolves through the various meet cutes of the movie well maybe like a relationship in terms of its ups and downs so like all the meat cutes will be the ups and then as george and cheryl start to be forced closer and closer together that's like all the downs right so we've got the blind guy and the blind lady and maybe the way they meet is like their helper dogs get you know meat and it's like you know like in a thousand and 101 dalmatians when their leads get tangled together yeah, it's not exactly like that. I'm thinking, you know, we, we have the same kind of cast of characters. So you have the pimp and the prostitute. You've got like the cranky old couple, the religious, the young religious teens, the punk rockers. And it's like all these people start going away from who they're with and then having these really cute meet cutes with the like, you know, the pimp will meet up with the with the re- young religious lady. And it's like, these two shouldn't get together. But then it's like, oh, no, they're perfect for each other because it's so cute. Uh, And all the while, maybe the usher is kind of like the joke is that the usher is forever alone. Even though she's really hot. Right. And then when they go up to the protectionist booth, everything is automatic. And that's part of the the thing where uh, where the movie theater owner is showing the general around. He's like, well, just turn off the movie. And he's like, I can't. I don't know how to run this thing. And then later we can find out that there is an actual projectionist. It's just he's like off going to the bathroom or he's like off smoking pot somewhere or, you know, like the theater is automatic. So once he hits play, he can fuck off and do whatever he wants. And so maybe the usher and projectionist get together at the end. Right. And so Cheryl and George are going through and they're trying to find a way to escape. But meanwhile, all they're really doing is inadvertently helping all these other couples meet and you know it's it's like (laughs) when the couples start to flirt they become hypnotized and we can show this visually with the way they look at the movie screen and light flickers in their eyes and the way they look at each other and light flickers in their eyes and george and cheryl have a very han and leia thing going on where it's like clearly belligerent sexual tension yes clearly these two are meant to get together but we're gonna postpone that as much as humanly possible so that when they do oof it's extra juicy um, and so just as like the military is about to come in and storm the movie theater and sort of like, just say, forget it, you know, it's time to go to war. 
troops move in, grab whoever's not married and take them out. Just when that's about to happen, maybe there's like a marriage scene in the movie and somehow we use the marriage scene in the movie where like all these people suddenly want to get married, but there's no priest around to conduct these weddings. But then they're like, actually, you know what? The priest in the movie is a real priest. So we can use the final scene as a big group wedding for everyone to get married. And then at the end of the movie, everyone gets married and George and Cheryl are looking at everyone and they're like, you know, they're looking at people as the light of the movie is flickering in their eyes. And then they're all looking at each other and the lights flickering in their eyes. And then George and Cheryl are looking at each other and they're like, we don't see it. But then maybe all the people turn around and something on the screen happens. We're like, finally, the movie, the people in the movie theater are like, well, we're better off because you're together, right? Because through them being together the whole movie, everyone else met each other. And it's just like a, a, a Rube Goldberg machine of meat cutes. And then at the end of the movie, they finally see the light flicker in each other's eyes. And then they decide to get married too. And then the military general is thwarted and he's got to go to the next town and, you know, or something silly. But at the end of the day, like everyone in the movie gets married. I like it. I like that there are multiple couples yeah. I like that we both did enemies to lovers. Yeah, that's the easiest one, I think. I mean, you know, it is the one that has the most enduring popularity. People cannot get enough of people hating each other and then falling in love. It 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 is the ultimate catnip across the board for a lot of people. I mean, there are definitely those out there who would say that they don't like it, but I would say the number of people, the number of romance fans who enjoy enemies to lovers or as the more nuanced folks might call it, different sides. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but there's definitely more people into that than people into friends to lovers. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Because friends to lovers is too scary, right? Well, what if you tell someone you like that you are that you like them and then they say, no, that's scary. What if you tell someone that you don't like that you like them? And it's like, oh, well, they don't like me. Well, I'm fine. I don't like them either then again. Well, friends to lovers, I think, is harder than enemies to lovers because with enemies to lovers, you can say, oh, all of this despite being enemies, there is this attraction that exists. But with friends to lovers, you always have to answer the question, why now? Right. And that's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to think of it. I don't know what some good examples of friends to lovers are, but yeah, it's inherently trickier because in one, the conflict is there and then it's obvious what the goal is. In the other, it's like you have to make up this weird conflict. Well, yeah, you have Uh, to make up the conflict that breaks up the existing dynamic so we can get to the goal. Right. Like someone's died, <laughs> that that kind of thing. Um, I think with just friends, um, the thing that makes it why now is they haven't been friends for years. 
and then he comes back to town as a different kind of guy. That's why now. Yeah. Um, Just Friends is probably one of, if not my favorite rom-com. Oh, yes. I, I say on our 50th or 100th episode, we should definitely do a reverse favorites. I think so, too. There's a, there's a couple that I've been watching lately where I'm like, you know, this is actually a really good rom-com. Like, I wonder if I can incept this into Shira's brain and maybe I can trick her into doing this movie. No tricks necessary. <laughs> I, I am game to see any good rom-com from any country in any medium. I'm, I'm very open. So in that spirit, shall we get into Cinema Paradiso? Uh, Paradiso. Uh, yeah. I'm, Mi you piazza. Have, I've never seen this movie before, so... I'm I'm more of the Italian horror and spaghetti western side of Italy. I'm not as much the um, who's who's the famous director who made the nine. It's nine and a half, right? Or is it eight and a half? Or Fellini. Fully, yeah. I'm I'm not as much into the Fellini side of Italians, and this movie definitely has more of a Fellini type vibe. Um, right now the the artsy italian directors are obsessed with going back to the village so you you definitely have that yeah uh so why why this movie so i i had a few different options i could go with i think i could have gone with set in italy and done you know marriage italian style or something like that or or a more straightforward rom-com like Bread and Tulips is another example that I thought about, but I decided on Cinema Paradiso because I just think it's one of, I know that it's schmaltzy. I know that it's schmaltzy and sentimental and, and very, uh, yeah, it's, it's very schmaltzy, but it's one of the sweetest movies I've ever seen. And I really love the way the movie props up and celebrates the depiction of romance in film and the magic of seeing romance in film and living, you know, that fan living that fantasy, if even for a moment in your own life or in, in, in Toto's life where it really does become a movie when he falls in love um, I mean, not that it wasn't great when he was just the most adorable child in the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think particularly the end of this movie where you see all of those kissing scenes cut together, it really just drives home for me how much this movie is just a celebration of love on the screen. Uh even while also being bittersweet about real life, uh, I, I feel like this is one of those movies that managed to have it all. The happy ending, the sad ending, the bittersweet ending. And I wasn't angry at it for that or felt right. like it took any cheap shots or didn't deliver exactly what it promised. It just, 
I kind of, I think I saw this movie when I was a lot younger and I've revisited it, you know, periodically over the years and it still holds up for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good movie for sure. And as a filmmaker, it's definitely, it hits some notes that are, are particularly sweet and, and nice in that regard. Have you ever seen Woody Allen's The Purple Rose of Cairo? I love The Purple Rose of Cairo. In fact, The Purple Rose of Cairo is probably my favorite Woody Allen movie. I would say 100% that movie is my favorite Woody Allen movie. Like, we are on the same page there. I like movies that are about the magic of imagination and filmmaking, but they also are very clear that you have to be grounded in reality and not lost in the reality or in the imagination and not lost in the movies. Like you need a good balance between my real life and this fantasy escapism life. And it's, I don't know. I mean, I think both those movies, there's one or two other movies that I can't think of off the top of my head that are like that, but it's a very, very, very specific kind of message for a very specific kind of person so Cinema Paradiso, I can definitely see not being everyone's cup of tea. Oh, it's for dreamers, for sure. This is, yeah. this is the dreamer movie. Right. So it's, yeah, I just, I, I really did like, I mean, maybe it was just a tiny bit too long. But um, <laughs> you think this is like, so the, the theater cut is two hours. I think that the director's cut is like three hours. But, you know, like, I don't know. So having just watched Good, the Bad, the Ugly, that movie is a three-hour-long movie. But I swear to God, like, I do not – it's like Seven Samurai, man. Like, I just lose it's, – it's pure cinema. Like, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly is an amazing movie, especially the last 10-minute shootout scene, which is 10 minutes of buildup for one bullet. And it's freaking nuts, but it's pure cinema. And that's the same way that Seven Samurai is. Like, if you get lost in the storytelling, then time doesn't matter. And I feel like this movie, I, I, I felt like it could have been shorter. But I also, to be honest, was seeing him as an adult and stuff and seeing him in the war and seeing him as a kid. Like, not as a young kid, but as a teenage type kid. Yeah, if this was like... I could see this totally not being a movie nowadays, but being like a six part HBO series. Like I would watch all of that. I think this movie has enough content to get it through more runtime, but just like the ending, the last 20 minutes of this movie does get a little bit too like, well, it takes us a long time to get to yeah. the ultimate payoff, which is when he views the real. Right. Uh, so you want to give us the summary? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so Cinema Paradiso. In 1988 Rome, famous director Salvatore Di Vita returns home late one evening where his girlfriend sleepily tells him that his mother called to say someone named Alfredo has died. Salvatore obviously shies from committed relationships and has not been to his home village of Giancaldo, Sicily in 30 years. As his girlfriend asks him who Alfredo is, 
Salvatore flashes back to his childhood. And this is kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style, where it's like, oh, we're doing an hour-long flashback? All right. Well, yeah, sure. Let's He's do it. remembering his entire life <laughs> in Giancaldo. Uh, yes. And so after a, a few war, or a few years after World War II, eight-year-old Salvatore is the mischievous, intelligent son of a war widow. Although, you know, she's very adamant that he will be coming back. Uh, nicknamed Toto, he discovers a love for films and spends every free moment at the movie house Cinema Paradiso. And although they initially start out on tense terms, he develops a friendship with the middle-aged projectionist, Alfredo, who often lets him watch movies from the projection booth. And, you know, they start to develop little things here and there. Uh, Gian, um, Alfredo is very much a lonely guy, and Toto is very much an inquisitive little rascal of a kid who's constantly doing things he's not supposed to be doing, but also... He's hanging out with this guy who's lonely, so it's nice. Uh, during it's the shows, adorable. Can I just can I just drive home how adorable this child is? Did you not think that he was absolutely adorable, or were you not charmed by this child? No, it, this casting children actors can definitely be tough, and putting your entire movie on the shoulders of a little kid can definitely be make or break. But yeah, this kid is like the way he looks at everything with such awe, you can't help but get lost in his eyes of like, Oh my God, to be that young again and to just be so childlike it's, he, he does very, very good in this movie. Uh, so during the shows, the audience can be heard booing when there are scenes missing, causing the films to subtly jump, usually bypassing a critical romance scene or kiss or embrace. And of course, we find out uh, that basically the local priest has ordered these sections censored. And Alfredo has sort of a collection of all these quote unquote deleted or chopped scenes on his projection room floor that he kind of tries to put back into the movie when he's done with them and has to send them back. But, eh, you know, that's kind of hard because sometimes you forget where they go. So he's just got a collection. They kiss too much anyway. Right. Uh, so Alfredo eventually teaches Salvatore or Toto how to operate the film projector. Uh, the cinema Paradiso catches fire as Alfredo is showing a movie one night on the wall of a nearby house, giving the sort of people who couldn't make it into the theater, a sort of impromptu free outdoor screening. Salvatore saves Alfredo's life, but not before the nitrate film explodes in Alfredo's face, leaving him permanently blind. The projectionist, forever blind. Very tragic. Um, yeah, a lot of blind characters in these Italian movies. Both, both movies had blind characters that the movies playing were described to. Right, and the blind characters were sort of more experts on what was going on than the people with sight um it's it's it seems like a very italian thing it also just seems like a very looney tune cartoony thing which is just like stereotypes back in the day of just oh yeah we gotta have a blind guy in here we gotta have the crazy town guy the square's mine the square's the piazza. mine me piazza <laughs> 
so eventually the movie house is rebuilt by a town citizen Kyosio Chocho? I don't know. He's the he's the did you, did you catch that it was the guy who won the lottery and then he used his lottery money to rebuild the theater for the town. I did not catch that upon first glance, but I do like that. This this movie is very much about in the background like a town, you know, coming together after war. It's it's a very sweet movie. I could see why, like, I could see why you would like this movie more than me, given your more literary and classical background. Uh, this movie feels like the kind of film you would watch in English class if Italian movies were English books. <laughs> <laughs> Did this movie hit your whimsy factor too much? No, not the whimsy fact. It just felt like I could imagine my high school English teacher sitting behind me going like, okay, so this character represents this. Okay, so this character represents this. And like, it, it's not a bad thing, but it's just, you know, that's one kind of movie. And, you know, the other kind of movie You're just is- telling me that this movie feels like homework to you. You know, but there's a few books that I went back and read after high school that I should have read during high school that I actually kind of liked. So, you know, sometimes sometimes high school teachers get it right. Um, but then we go, we cut back to Toto, and he's still a child, but he's kind of learning the projectionist machine. And because of El, uh, Alfredo's accident, he's kind of the only person who knows how to run it. So then we cut to about a decade later and Salvatore is now in high school and he's still operating the projector at the Nuovo Cinema Paradiso. And his relationship with Alfredo has strengthened and Salvatore looks to him for help and advice, uh, which Alfredo often gives him by quoting classic films. And so Salvatore has been experimenting with film and using a home movie camera. And he's kind of, you know, he's starting to, you know, do what he sees every, every day at the theater. And there he meets Elena, uh, a daughter of a wealthy banker. And Salvatore woos her only to lose her due, her due to her father's disapproval. Very sad. And then Elena moves away just as Salvatore leaves town for the military service and his attempts to write with Elena are fruitless. All of his letters are returned as undeliverable. Uh, Upon his return from the military, Alfredo urges Salvatore to leave Giancaldo permanently, counseling that the town is too small for Salvatore to ever find his dreams. It's very sad because the old man has to basically do like, you know, the the lost dog or lost White puppy fang. thing of like, yeah, he, get he out of here. fanged him. Shoo, shoo, get out of here, Toto, shoo. Uh, but they tearfully embrace and Salvatore leaves town to pursue his dream of becoming a filmmaker. Toto gets it, though. Like, Toto understands what he's doing. Yeah, it's the scene in uh, Goodwill Hunting where Ben Affleck is like, one day I'm going to wake up, you're not going to be here. It's going to be the best day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good scene, you know, it's a good scene. Um, And so, yeah, basically Alfredo dies. Salvatore comes back. The whole town has changed. He's learning that Cinema Paradiso is going to be demolished to make way for a parking lot. 
he recognizes everyone at the um, at the funeral. He recognizes all the people from the cinema. And so then when Salvatore returns home, he watches Alfredo's reel that was given to him as like a postpartum death gift. And he discovers that it's basically all the cut and deleted scenes that were on the cutting room floor from when he censored them. And Alfredo has basically put them all together to make one single film of just an explosion of passion being released before your very eyes. And then, yeah, Salvatore just kind of becomes overwhelmed with all of this stuff. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you're watching the movie, you know how he feels. He cries and he smiles. Yeah. He's, he's, it's bittersweet. There's joy and there's sorrow and it's all wrapped together. And Ennio Morricone's score is swelling. Um, Yeah, it's a, a very cinematic moment. It's a good movie. I I would actually be curious to see the three hour longer cut because I think that, you know, we spend so much time with kid Toto that like, I'd like to maybe see a little bit more of adult Salvatore or some of the war stuff. Right. You know, um, would you, would you care if I spoiled you on what I read about the longer version? No, go for it. So apparently in the longer version, it's revealed that um, Alfredo went to Elena, Salvatore's first love, and told her not to write back to Salvatore and actually made it so that even though Elena wanted to talk to him, she, she on Alfredo's advice never responded to his letters because Alfredo was so convinced that Salvatore needed to leave Giancaldo and any reason that would make him stay in Giancaldo would mess up his dream. Oh yeah. And then um, I think um, Salvatore has a, has a meeting with um, Elena in the end. But then, you know, it's not the same because, you know, it's like the saying goes, you can never go home again. Right. It's never the same place. Yeah, that's very sad. Yeah. But I like those stories where people have to yeah. do the right thing for the greater good, no matter how hard it is. And in a way he did, because this filmmaker, I feel like all of his movies are about Sicily Um, he found a way to immortalize, to pay tribute to the town that he came from and, and the world that he grew up in. So, I mean, I, I think he did a great job with that. Yeah. This movie is definitely like the definition of love letter to cinema, love letter to your hometown growing up, love letter to all the towns folk that you grew up with. Uh, It's an extremely sweet movie that, yeah, even though it's very lighthearted and funny, you just become so attached to these characters, especially Toto, that when things start to, like, get interrupted, you like, it's so sad, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, but he's got to. He's got to branch out. He's got to become who he's meant to become. Like, oof. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. 
I, I so were there any parts of the movie that got you emotionally? Did did you shed any tears? Oh, I did not. I did not shed a tear. I don't know if it's just based on my the my tired factor when I was watching it or the conditions I was watching it in or something. Um, I, I'll admit when I shed a tear in a rom-com. This one didn't shed a tear. Maybe it will after another viewing or two. I can definitely get into it a bit more. But also, when we when we told each other about these movies, you said, I want to do either this, this or this. And I said, all right, let's – or we had both agreed, okay, let's go with Italy. You said, all right, right. Cinema Paradiso – don't watch any trailers. Don't read anything about it. Just go in cold. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm going to pick demons. I'll let you know tomorrow. Then tomorrow mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, demons, same thing. I would love to show you a trailer just to give you a hint of how batshit movie, crazy this movie is. But also if you can go in cold and not know how batshit crazy this is, like what a freaking smack in the face. Like I just love that cold water splash of those juicy Italian colors and practical effects <laughs> and dubbing and those crazy cool shots that they have. Like, ah, oh, it's such a splash in the face. I was ready for this movie to splash me in the face with something, but I was like, I, I kept expecting him to get sucked into the screen or something. Um, <laughs> oh, well, no, I, it wasn't because of that. I just, you know, I, I wanted to stop myself because I know that this is, this is a really sentimental movie. I know that they lay on the schmaltz really thick and I didn't want that to prejudice you against it going into it, knowing that it was going to be an extremely sentimental movie. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I can see that. But um, no, I mean, I really, if it was sentimental about other stuff, maybe I wouldn't liked it as much, but it's very sentimental using film as its primary language. So of course, my eyes and ears perked up for that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of uh, Purple Rose of Cairo and movies that are about fantasy versus reality, have you ever seen Sherlock Jr. with uh, Buster Keaton? No. I don't know if it's, I think it used to be on Netflix. I don't know where it is anymore, but um, yeah, Sherlock Jr. is a Buster Keaton flick where he gets sucked into a movie and he's got to like interact with the movie and it's full of all this crazy stuff, but it's kind of like a prototype of uh, Purple Rose of Cairo in that sense of, you know, reality versus imagination and sort of realizing the difference between the two and it's got Buster Keaton in it, and he's pretty awesome. Wasn't there a Buster Keaton movie showing in uh, Cinema Paradiso at some point? Uh, they had a poster of Buster Keaton in the projectionist room, I think, but they did a Charlie Chaplin. Looked like a Charlie Chaplin well, was, movie. Yeah, there was a Charlie Chaplin scene in the Kiss montage, but I thought that there was um, a Buster Keaton movie that they were watching. Uh, um, I mean, it definitely seeing Charlie Chaplin and seeing the poster and all that stuff, I definitely got the vibes um, from from both angles. Like, not only was it, hey, classical silent film stars, but also it was, hey, love for cinema. Like, all right, yeah, I'm in. 
Who was your favorite townie from the movie? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, I mean, the only one that I can think of off the top of my head really is the, the, the crazy guy the this is my town square guy. Oh yeah. I the just, guy who owns the square. <laughs> yeah. You love crazy guys. I do. I do. But it's also, I mean, these Italian movies make very big impactful impression on very small one note things. Like when the guy who is with his wife at demons shows up and he's just a total asshole. And she's like, Hey, I wanted to go somewhere for our anniversary. And he's like, shut up. I took you to a movie. What more do you want lady? Like it's, you know, and then he's like, oh, there's prostitutes in here. And she's like, what do you care? <laughs> like the bickering old couple. They're so one noted, but it's so like, that's exactly the kind of maximum impact you need for such minimum screen time. Like it, there's got to be that balance when when you do movies like this. And I think both of these movies make very good comedic use out of their minor characters and they they have it serve the greater good like yeah i i think it's very impressive to you know it's they're both obviously very silly but it's also very impressive that you can see the t- crazy town square guy once and then you know exactly who he is for all two minutes combined he is in the movie and he's still around at the end i I well, I mean, maybe I'm just just at a, a more emotional point when I watched this movie than you did. But I, I cried when at the funeral they flashed back and Salvatore is looking at all the townspeople and they're all there, um, including his old boss, the guy who owned the the new cinema Paradiso. I, I cried when they demolished the cinema. Of course, I cried during the kiss montage. It was just, uh, yeah, it was a lot of emotions. It was also, yeah, it was a little depressing to see a theater being blown up because given the current state of movie theaters, those (sighs) might be a relic of the past. Who knows? So Let's hope not. Yeah. Well, I guess it's time for the question. Who would you kill, Brett? I mean, the guy that you got to kill is the priest, right? Yeah, what a yeah, dick. What a fucking dick. Cutting out just a little bit of kissing in movies? Come on, man. Ugh. I don't like that guy. Yeah, I I, I found him amusing as a character because he just hated Toto so much. Right. And when Toto finally left town, he was really glad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he plays a good villain. I like the bell, how he's got the bell to ring mm-hmm. and how the guy slips those notes in the movie to his like bookmarks. Like he had a whole good rhythm and a good section of the movie, but yeah, he plays a very good bad guy. Just, you know, cut <laughs> it. If if their lips touch, it's gotta go. Gots to go. Gots to go. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely kill the priest, too. Yeah. (laughs) 
So are you uh, are you ready to horrify this rom-com? Barely. It's going to be a lot of making it up as I go along. Yeah, my notes are a little, they're a little sparse on this one. I don't really have a, a title for mine. I kind of really like the name Cinema Paradiso, and I've never seen the movie, but Phantom of the Paradise is already a movie. Oh. I was thinking I could call it Phantom of the Paradiso, but I was like, I've never seen the other one, and I don't know if I can just steal the title without it knowing what it's about. But um, I'm going to start mine off in like super old timey days. So maybe there's like, maybe there's like a church and we're at a wedding and it's a really popular wedding, like a really, you know, like the two big Royal families from the two big cities or whatever are coming together and they're getting married at this wedding, but then the wedding is interrupted and it basically turns into game of Thrones, wed wedding, a red wedding where everyone gets butchered and killed and massacred. And so then you cut to modern day and there's like a church, but the church is also a theater because maybe it's in that part of town where like, there's not a lot of theaters around. So we just show movies at the church and uh, the church is very culty. Right. So like we have a lot of weird stuff going on at the church and then Toto comes in and Toto's a salesman and he's selling these new projectors and he goes to this small town and maybe like he's on his last dime. He's really got to make the big sale, that kind of thing, you know, where like maybe he's on a conference call or something and all the better salesmen are like in New York city going like, yeah, they're buying projectors left and right. It's easy. And he's like going from poor town to poor town. And like, even if people wanted to buy the new state of the art projector, they couldn't cause they don't have the money. So it's very hard. Closers, man. Yeah. Uh, Celluloid is for closers. So then we go to church and we start showing these films. And I think it's kind of like maybe again, like once the film starts to show, it's got this hypnotizing feature where like, you know, the film starts to reflect in the people's eyes and their eyes start glowing. And it's like, you know, they're being hypnotized, you know, as you would a cult, they're being brainwashed. And so then uh, there's going to be a wedding at the church and it's very, did you ever see, I think it's called Steve Jobs, the one by Aaron Sorkin directed by Danny Boyle. The one with Fassbender? Yeah. No. Oh, it's so good. That movie is so incredibly good. Uh, It just, it's like behind the scenes of an Apple, whatever you call them, press conference or whatever they Isn't are. Isn't it just Steve Jobs screaming at people for an hour and a half or something? Yeah, but it's full of drama and it makes him out to be a fully three-dimensional human being. Like he does some great things, but he also does some really assholeless things. So I kind of want that to be the, the vibe though. I want there to be like a lot of moving parts to this wedding where maybe Toto is kind of more casual and maybe he's more Nick Charles about it, you know, maybe more uh, Spike Spiegel where he's going. He's just kind of like nosing around where he shouldn't, but everyone's so hectic that they don't notice or care. So there's a lot of prep. There's a lot of tension. There's a little bit of investigation And basically he discovers that the wedding at the church is done through this old ancient ritual and there's all these books, but then he notices that there's like trinkets and jewelry and clothes from all the other people who've been married in the church. 
And so then there's the wedding at the church. And then at the very end of the wedding, like the people get whisked off into this room that's full of bright light. And then the door closes. And then Toto has no luck selling his thing. So he's like, all right, I guess I just have to go back to my town poor and out of, you know, out of money. So he gets called in for like a theater conference somewhere else. Like, let's say this whole movie takes place in Rome. Maybe he gets called back to like Sicily or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So he goes to this theater conference full of all these new projectors and stuff, but he can't stop thinking about this couple. And so he does a little bit more research on the church and on the couple and on the people there. And through all of his research, he realizes that the town is only full of children and old people and that all the young people are gone and that anytime they disappear after their wedding to go on a honeymoon, they just disappear. And so then he, wow. start, he starts looking up the movies that are playing at the, the town. Maybe he goes back in cognito and stuff and he watches some of the movies and he realizes that the people in the movies are the people who have left town. So it's kind of like this building is sucking their souls and making movies using their souls as actors. And the townspeople are hypnotized by it. And that townspeople are willingly supplying the actors for this theater, for this movie. So, right. So then he's got to like go into the basement of the church. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a church in Italy that's made out of human skull and bones. And so there's that so maybe there's pretty like, goth. right. So maybe there's like a basement in this church that's made out of skulls, and maybe one of the women, or one of the guys, but I'm thinking one of the women had like a birthmark somewhere, right? Like maybe on her temple, and then the skull has like a little indentation of like where that birthmark would be, something silly like that. But then he basically takes the skull from its resting place, and he goes back up to the movie theater part of the church, and like the woman in the movie theater disappears or in the movie screen disappears. So like, it's kind of like invisible man where her clothes are still acting out the scene, Ah. but there's no person. And so then like in a really cool spot, like maybe the main character will hold up the skull to be like, here she is right here. And then right when he holds up the skull in front of the screen, we cut to a close up. So we see like a close up of the skull where the woman's face should be. And so it's kind of like demons where, you know, there's a knife cutting through the screen, but also there's a demon running through the screen. Um, And so then, yeah, so then he basically has to stand up to the town. He has to convince them not to be in a cult. He unhypnotizes them. They tear down the church. They burn down the screen. They do whatever. And then Toto has to fight this sort of, HP Lovecraftian spider monster who uses like film as a web to like suck in people's souls and stuff. So like it, but in a movie. Right. Exactly. Uh, I definitely thought of the ending of it for this, where it was like, yep, we're just going to have a spider monster. Um, And also uh, South Park where there's the spider monster in that one. Um, (laughs) But then the scary version of this movie I'm thinking is maybe like out of the rubble is a sort of uh, camera and maybe it's like a new possessed camera, but maybe Toto picks it up and Toto's like, 
now I can play God and I can be the one who writes the movies and ah, like he turns into an evil madman. But yeah, so basically it's kind of like a, a weird sort of wicker man movie turns into like a, you know, changeling stir of echoes type movie where it's like something's weird with this town and then you figure it out what it is. And then you have to, you know, yeah, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a little dash of in the mouth of madness in there too. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, so we're going to throw in as much of that as possible. Oh, we know it's John Carpenter and Mindy Kaling. That's who we follow on Instagram. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's it in broad strokes. I'm curious to know how much, uh, how much romance you brought to your thriller, (laughs) if you did bring any. Um, not, not for this one. Um, again, I just, I, I'm, I think I'm coming down with something, so I'm, I'm a bit under the weather, so I, I really focused on just working on my rom-com pitch, but I was thinking, okay, so if we were to do a horror version of Cinema Paradiso, I really like the idea of doing a story very similar to, um, did you watch the Twilight Zone movie? Yeah, I've seen it. Do you remember the part of the movie, the story, uh, It's a Good Life? Not off the top of my head. So there is a vignette in the Twilight Zone movie called It's a Good Life. And the plot of the movie is essentially, or story, vignette, whatever section, is this kid has godlike powers and he uses those godlike powers to reshape reality and terrorize and dominate a group of people into pretending to be his family. Uh, And then there's also an anime called The Melancholy of Harui Suzumiya, where she also has the powers of a god, but doesn't know that she has god powers. Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, comedy ensues. Um, both both of those stories are, are really good stories. So I thought, okay, well, what if you have the melancholy of Toto and Toto is a boy who has God powers, but he doesn't know it. And so the entire town's purpose, almost Truman Show like, is to keep Toto happy and prevent him from realizing that whatever he thinks of becomes real so whenever toto goes to the movie theater and let's say toto sees a western and then you know western stuff starts happening in town or toto sees a sci-fi movie and there are aliens whatever toto imagines actually happens and so the town is just completely terrified of him and then in rolls into town elena And maybe similarly to the Twilight Zone movie, she can be like a substitute teacher or something. And then she's the outsider who's new to this whole setup and sees how everyone treats Toto and how he kind of runs the entire town like a little god king. Um, 
but Elena being the outsider has a different approach to Toto and maybe um, there will be degrees of acceptance. Like at first Elena's trying to get out of the town and then the townsfolk make her stay because Toto has taken an interest in her and then mm. Toto reshapes reality so that they're the same age um, rather than her being older and, you know, things escalate and then finally, uh, maybe in the third act, Toto learns that he's a god uh, and that the entire townsfolk, everybody he thought that loved him, that had a relationship with him, that cared about him, they're all terrified of him. Uh, and maybe he lets all the townsfolk go uh, and is about to, again, reshape reality and annihilate everyone and then maybe Elena convinces him not to do it. And then they ride off uh, together. Uh, but that that's kind of the direction that I was thinking of going. But obviously I didn't shape it out scene for scene. But something where the terror is a godlike child with undeveloped emotional intelligence, but the power to remake reality however they see fit. It's pretty terrifying. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there could be a lot of fun of, you know, showing the chaos in the movie theater versus showing the chaos out in the real world. Right. Because, yeah. you know, Toto might be in the movie theater just thinking he's watching a movie and then outside in the square, people are killing dragons and trying to make all of the stuff that he imagined that came real go away. Right. Yeah. I can definitely see it. It's, um, yeah, it's got that, I don't know. I like it when kids have ultimate power, it, it never works out. Well, right, because they're the worst people to wield it. You know, right. they, they're immature. And so they're just going to be like little tyrants. And I mean, if, if you ever watch that part of the Twilight Zone movie again, it's a really scary vignette because this kid can really make them do anything and they're so afraid of him. Yeah. Uh, I think it's weird. I would be curious to know what people find scary in movies. Like if you could just sit down in a room full of 20 people and say like, what scares you? Cause Children honestly, with ultimate power. <laughs> um, I think demons, demons and the devil do scare me, even though I'm not a religious person the idea that there's this otherworldly force that wants to use my body and or soul as a pawn piece for its own greater power and that that power would ultimately be used for evil. I don't know. There's something primal about that that just creeps the hell out of me. And I, I don't like very... I mean, I do like, but I get scared by those movies that are very much like a condensed time frame. You're stuck in this theater. How do you get out of this theater? Um, a lot of the movies that I've written are, are like that, where it's very much a sort of, yeah, we got to like maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes of like buildup. But then once the inciting incident hits, you're just going to see it play out from beginning to end. Um, and so I like that. I like, when do you give up? 
when do you give up in demons? I like how there's a few times where she's just like, I can't go on anymore. I can't go on. Like, yeah. At what point do you look at this horde of crazy, indestructible demon monsters and go like, you know, when they get outside and it's crazy outside, like that terror, even though it's very silly and it's very rock and roll and I'm like, fuck yeah, the movie's going there. It's also like, what do you do? You just spent all of your energy getting outside of the building. Well, it's exhausting. And now what? Like, not only do you have to recuperate that energy, but where do you go? Even if you go to the countryside, they're going to come get you. Like, how do you stop it? Like, I don't know. That's just really terrifying to me. Uh, zombie movies, if they're if they're well done, they can really creep me out in that regard of just having to decide when to give up. That's a very frightening choice to make. Yeah, no, I think I think there's definitely there's definitely something something to that or just being lost in that relentless struggle and to know at the point at which you think you're going to get the relief, you're going to get outside the theater, the world is going to be normal again, but you can never go home. Home doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, very scary. And in, uh, if you want to relate it to Cinema Paradiso, it's like, at what point would you give up on your dreams? You know, not at what point do you stop fighting demons to survive, but at what point do you stop, you know, pursuing your dream to be quote unquote more realistic? Or do you take that shot? That's a very good question. Yes, indeed. Things to ponder. <laughs> So I'm curious if you've been feeling a bit under weather, under the weather, are you going to have two love bites for us? Or should I scramble and think of two? Uh, no, I have one love bite. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I could always come up with more. No, I, you know, there was more than one Italian movie in my mind that I could have brought up, but I thought similar to anime i i'm going to give the recommendation for my very favorite the very top uh and then if people want to know what other italian movies i like you can always ask uh but i have a favorite italian movie by uh, mr fellini who we mentioned earlier and it's actually probably one of my favorite movies of all time uh, and I don't think anyone would assign it as homework for English class, but this movie is called Knights of Kabiria. And Kabiria is a prostitute, uh, and she is kind of a, a coarse lady, but she's got heart and she's got spirit. And so Knights of Kabiria follows her through multiple vignettes including a really funny one where she decides that she wants to work the corner where the um the expensive prostitutes go and it's very very clear the social difference and physical differences between her and and them but it's a really lovely movie and similar to uh to cinema paradiso it has one of those endings that manages to hit almost every emotional note perfectly to where you 
leave that movie feeling very similar to Salvatore watching the kissing montage where it's just everything. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really love that movie. Uh, and it's, it's funny. It's bittersweet. It's tragic. It's hopeful. It's, it's everything that you could want in a movie that, that takes you through all the emotions. Okay. I've heard of it before. I'll have to give it a shot. I like it better than La Strada. Like if you're one of those artsy fartsy completionists who thinks, Oh, I want to see directors, great works. I think for, um, Fellini, it's eight and a half and, um, La Strada and Amacord, I think get talked about a lot. Uh, but I think Knights of Kiberia, Knights of Kiberia for me is like Purple Rose of Cairo with Woody Allen, where it's like this movie is so special, but then it doesn't get talked about in the same way as as his other work. So everybody talks about Eight and a Half or everybody talks about Annie Hall. And yet you've got these just amazing gems sitting over here in the corner. Uh, and and Knights of Kiberia is definitely like that. All right, I'm uh, I'm definitely gonna check it out. I I like good movies by Italians. Sounds- These Italians, they they know their way around a movie. What about you? What's your love bite today? I'm gonna improvise a super quick one, which is Halloween. John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, that's a movie that immediately grabbed my attention when I was a kid. When I first saw it, it blew my mind. I was involved in it. I was just totally engrossed by the movie. Uh, Halloween owes a lot to the giallo flick genre. I think you're right. There's a lot of techniques that they used, a lot of things that they used, the synth score. I mean, Halloween is kind of the first slasher movie, but it's, you you know, Psycho and things like that that came before it definitely you know paved the way but yeah uh halloween is basically like psycho meets blood and black lace or deep red it's just it's so cinematic like i just can't stress how cinematic these movies are um they're freaking great so halloween john carpenter italian horror throw all that in there um yeah, and then for the other movie that I want to recommend, my love bite is Short Circuit. Number five is alive. No disassemble. I this movie, I don't like. There are some movies that I watched as a kid that I watch now, and I'm like, yeah, I can see why I liked as a kid, but it's you know, it's kind of like a kids movie or whatever. But there's certain movies that I watch now that I'm just like, this is a legit fantastic movie. And I know that Short Circuit is extremely dated because it's from the 80s. And any movie that's from the 80s just does not translate well to modern day. The 80s was a decade that was very much of its time. Yes. So it's, I mean, it's kind of, it sucks to recommend it to people like to youngins nowadays because I know that they're going to get stuck on the fact that it looks weird and the people look weird and like everything. But number five is so cute. Johnny five is 
one of the best film characters. And you can see why Wally works so well is because they just watched this movie nonstop and said, yeah, pretty much all we got to do is that only a little bit more. Um, yeah. Johnny five definitely walked so that um, Wally could run. Yeah. It's Johnny five is so great. When Johnny five learns that disassemble is dead and that dead is bad and he freaks out like that's such a great moment of like you're having this childlike character figure out on his own morality and that you shouldn't kill people or things and it's such a great moment and then you have the three stooges stuff going on and like there's just so much charm in this movie but johnny five man like I can't imagine them making this movie nowadays. I know that there's been a remake in the works for a while, but I I just can't imagine how you would do it. Even though this, like it sucks to recommend this movie because it's so old that like, there's just certain things that don't, that are just so stupid and silly nowadays, but the movie itself has so much heart. It's got so much heart that I just, I, I fall in love with this movie every single time I watch it. I watch it once a year and it's, it's so magical. It's been a minute. I, I grew up with that movie, uh, but uh, I have not revisited it as an adult. I really think, cause some people will say it's so bad. It's good, but I genuinely believe that the movie is 100% good. There's so many setups. There's so many callbacks. There's so like, there's so much good concrete filmmaking going on that it's hard not to just be lost in the charm of the movie. It's whew, I love this movie so much. I love it. Hey, laser lips, your mama was a snowblower. <laughs> it's so good. Short circuit. All right. Yeah. Well, shall we do some housekeeping? Yeah, I definitely think we should. I know that we're on Facebook and Twitter at the Necromancer Pod. And we are on Instagram as the Necromancer Podcast. We also have things that are on like iTunes and Stitchers or wherever you get this podcast from. Make sure to give it stars and give it reviews so that people can see it. And if you write reviews, then we will read reviews. If you write them, we will read them. And if you want to talk to us, you can reach out to us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I can't wait to hear all of you tell me about how bad Short Circuit is. And I will write to each and every one of you and tell you why you are wrong. (laughs) I'm more curious to see how every movie is Rango. Yeah, I, I actually have thought about that as I go through and listen to these to edit them. I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to start going out of my way to fit in a Rango reference from now on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then, on that note, let's Rango out. <laughs> Adios.
Dancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.